James Herbert the Rat's Prologue The old house had been empty for more than a year. It stood, detached and faded, next to a disused canal, away from the road, screened by foliage gone wild. No one went there. Nobody showed much interest anymore. Few windows had been shattered by the neighbourhood kids. But even they lost interest when nothing more than silence responded to the crash of broken glass. In fact, the only interest they had ever had shown by others was on the day they took the old woman away. He knew she'd been living alone since her husband had died, never went out, and was only rarely seen peering from behind lace curtains. She never parted the curtains, just grazed, just gazed through them, so only a hazy spectral form could be seen by anyone interested enough to look. Groceries were delivered every week and left on the back step. Powder milk was included amongst them. The local grocer said, Old woman's bank paid her bills regularly every three months with never any queries as to the contents of his delivery, which suited him. He had been given a list at the beginning for a regular order, but if he forgot to include a pound of butter or two pounds of sugar now and again, no one noticed, no one complained. Still, he was curious. He used to see her occasionally when her husband was alive, but even then she didn't have to have much to say. There were a couple of queer old birds, her and her husband, uh, an old man, loving, never going out, never having company. But well off because they'd been abroad for years. Since their return, her husband never seemed to work. The old boy had died. Grocer wasn't sure what. But it had been a recurrence of some tropical disease he caught whilst abroad. The old woman was never seen after that. But Grocer had heard her. Nothing much, just a scraping of chairs or door dosing. He heard, once heard her shouting at someone, but never discovered who. People had begun to wonder about her. Some heard whirling, coming from the house one night, laughter another. Finally, complete silence for another over a month. It was only when the grocer found his previous week's delivery still on the doorstep that he reluctantly reported the matter to the police. Reluctantly, because he feared the worst, hated to see a nice little regular order come to an end. Anyway, it turned out she wasn't dead. Policeman was sent to investigate, and an ambulance arrived and took her away. She wasn't dead, just a lunatic. As far as the grocer was concerned, she might just as well have passed on, because that was the end of his little number. It had been too good to last. For the house was empty. Nobody came, nobody went. Nobody ever really bothered. A year was barely visible from the road. The undergrowth was tall and bushes thick and trees hid. The upper story. Many people are hardly aware it existed. Chapter 1. Henry Goffold was slowly drinking himself to death. He started six years ago at the age of 40. He'd been a successful salesman for Midland Paper Company and was ready to become a near manager. Trouble was, he'd fallen in love late in life. Unfortunately, he'd fallen for one of his junior salesmen. He trained young Francis for five weeks, took him to his business trip journeys up and down the country. First, he wasn't sure of the boy, same incarnations as himself. But as he grew to know him, the shyness and quiet lowness of his prodigy seemed slowly to dissolve. 
that incredible gap he always felt with other men. Why Francis had decided to become a salesman, he never discovered. He wasn't the type. Could afford. Could hold his own company with any group of men. He could be typically be the typical bluff salesman. The dirty jokes, the sly wink, the backslapping, the professionalism, betrayed hiding any imperfections. His realness. He was a good actor. Francis was different. He seemed the shadow of his home shadow his homosexuality dampened. Dampened his natural spirits, guilt tainting his moods. But he wanted to prove himself to be accepted, and he chosen a career that would make him forget his own personality, reflecting that of others. Third week they stayed in a small hotel in Bradford. Only double rooms were available, they so they shared one with single beds. They'd been drinking most of the afternoon with a client after lunch, taking him to the usual local strip club. Gilford had watched Francis in the darkened basement call a club because it had a bar and a membership fee. Boy had watched the girls away, but not with the exaggerated look of lust shown on the face of their client, and on himself, of course. And then, when the final sequin garment of the girl been thrown aside, he slapped the boy's thigh on the table with skilful heartiness, letting his hand linger just for a moment, but long enough for his eye, their eyes to meet. Then he knew, oh, that glorious moment he, when he really knew. There had been signs after that, after the first week, of course. There were tests for the set. Nothing daring, nothing that would cause even slight embarrassment if rebuffed. But he had been right. He knew. He had seen a smile in the boy's eyes. No surprise, not even apprehension, and certainly not alarm. The rest of the afternoon passed with a dreamlike quality. quality. His heart beat wildly every time he took he looked at the boy, but still he acted superbly. His vulgar, ugly, most definitely ugly client ever sus- never suspected. They were men in the men's world, leering at big breasted, deformed women. The boy was a bit green, of course. They had shown him real, how real women men. He sh- uh, they had shown him how real men acted, but they were confronted by naked thighs and fleshy tits. Gilford emptied his glass of scotch, threw back his head and laughed. When they all got back to the hotel, the hotel Guildford had chosen for special reasons. The boy was sick. He wasn't used to drink, but Guildford had, ply- had plied him with whiskies all afternoon. Now he began to have regrets. Perhaps he'd overdone it. Francis had been sick in the cab on the way back for the club. Then again in their room in the sink. Guildford had ordered black coffee and poured three cups into the half-conscious boy. Then there was a mess in the boy's coat and shirt, so Guildford tenderly took them off and scrubbed the worst spots in hot water. Then Francis began to cry. He was sitting on his bed, head in his hands, his pale shoulders shuddering convulsively. A lug of fair hair fell over his long, thin fingers. Littlefoot sat next to him and put his arm over the boy's shoulder. The boy's head leaned into Guildford's chest. Then he was cradled. Then he was cradling him in his arms. They stayed like that for a long time. The other man rocking the younger one back and forth like a five-year-old till the swerving fade faded into an occasional whimper. Guildford slowly undressed Francis, put him into the bed, gazed at him for a while, then undressed himself. Got in beside the boy and closed his eyes. Guildford would never forget that night. They made love, and the boy had surprised him. He wasn't the innocent he had seemed. Nevertheless, Guildford had fallen in love. He knew the dangers he heard the stories of the middle-aged men. Young boys knew their vulnerability. But he was happy. First time after making love to another man, he felt clean, purged, 
was a feeling of guilt. Gone was a feeling of self-contempt, disgust. He felt free and alive, more alive than he had ever been. They had gone back to the company after collecting a fair-sized order from their client in Bradford. They all had gone well for a while. Gilbert expected to be area manager in a few weeks. Large orders of large orders were coming in. He saw Francis every day, most evenings. And slowly at first things began to change. The young lads seemed to be losing their respect for him. Loving much, does the future give back answers to him, his old colleagues? He seemed to have much, too much to say to him anymore. He didn't avoid him exactly, but when in his company, the conversation was always slightly strained. But it down to the fact that he was soon to be manager. They didn't quite, they didn't quite know how to treat him. But then he caught some of the typists smirking by his back at each other. Oh, Mr. Robson, uh, office spinster, wouldn't even speak to him. A fear of rat. Finally, that fateful day, it was just after lunch, he returned from the local office pub, where a table was always reserved for him, but he was in town, had gone into the staff toilet. He went into the cubicle, took off his trousers down, sat and began to think about a new business venture in mind once he was an area manager. Then he glanced at the back of the door. He froze, its covered with graffiti, all about him, eventually. After the first one, it was averted to the game for marks. Had been awarded to each one. The crew drawings were all of him, he assumed. Francis had mistakenly Francis, because the long hair fell. It fell across his forehead. The gaunt figures, cartoon drawings, making his love ridiculous, ugly drawings. Blood rushed to his head, tears filled his eyes. How could they? How could they destroy their precious love they like, like this? Dirty little mind coming in there. He is scratching on the door, sniggering. He sat there for half an hour, quietly weeping. He finally realised how ridiculous, how pathetic it looked. A middle-aged man in love, a young boy, sitting in the toilet with trousers around his ankles, crying over words and drawings, and said nothing of his life. He went home, he couldn't face returning to the office, with smarts of his own core friends. He drank a bottle of scotch. That was the beginning of his deterioration. He went back to work next day, and now it's different. He was aware. He saw a drive in every remark made. He went home again at lunchtime, buying a fresh bottle of scotch on the way. Two weeks began to get a grip himself, but suddenly Francis left. He hadn't said goodbye, but just left a brief note saying he was sorry, but couldn't stand the persecution from the people he worked with any longer. He went to the boy's home, but a hysterical scene with Francis' mother made him realise it was finished. A threat involving law convinced him of it. Of this, Francis was very young. A downhill plunge was rapid after this. He lost his chance of promotion and was never quite sure if it was because of his reputation. In fact, he's really sober now. Probably both. Designed to move down to London, lose himself in a quagmire, countless other delusion people. So for six years he hadn't worked much, but had drunkly, steadily, Steadily, till his money ran out. He was thrown out of lodgings more times than he could remember. He did old jobs now and then in the markets, mostly spring spit fields, pushing barrows, loading lorries. With the few pence he made from his this, he bought cheap brews, he was slack rough. One time he'd been able to fulfil his sexual needs dusty old cinemas, sitting next to men of his own kind. Only twice. Had he been threatened once very quietly with a menace, the other time with much shouting and fist waving, all eyes of the cinema centred on his shame. 
But now he's too unkept for even that. His clothes reeked, his body smelt grime, picked up the market and sheds where he slept, and his eye left his body had been burned out by cheaply concocted alcohol he now drank. All he cared for now was saving up his meagre earnings to buy more obliviation. Gilliford had worked hard that week. He conquered his cravings for drink so he could buy a complete bottle of cheap gin that Saturday. How he survived he never knew, but somehow he managed it. He managed. He made a picture for full bottle of gin that resonated his mind. Now he shuffled along the dark streets by the docks. He drank only to his head spun. His step became more unsteady. He climbed through a crumbling window of the house. The slum clearance people hadn't yet cleared. Stirring over rubble, he made his way to the back of the house, be out of the way of any light shone in by a policeman with nothing better to do. He sat down in the corner of what must have been once been the kitchen, for the bottle was completely empty, he fell in a drunkard stupor. As late as Guildford woke with a start, befogged mind and registered something, but he didn't know what. Drain the rest of the gin before he felt the sharp pain in his left hand. He jerked the hand up to his mouth. He heard something scuttle away. He threw the bottle off the sound where he tasted blood at the back of his hand. He began to throb the taste of his throb, and the taste of his own sickly blood made him wrench. He rolled his side as the gin began to pump from his body, laid there while his body shook. Suddenly he felt the pain again his outstretched left hand. He shrieked. He realised something was gnawing at the tendons. He tried to get to his feet, but only stumbled, fell heavily, bruising on the side of his face. As he lifted his hand to his face again, he felt something warm clinging to it, something heavy. He tried to shake it away, but by now he had a firm grip. He pulled at the body with his other hand and felt brittle air. Through this panic he understood that it held what had held him in his monstrous grip, it was a rat. It was big, very big. It could have been mistaken for a small dog. There was no growling, no long legs to kick his body. Only what seemed a very razor-edged claws, frankly beating on his lower leg. He tried to gain his feet, to, tried to gain his feet again. He felt more pain in his leg. He screamed. Lonely pain seemed to run up his leg to his very testicles. More teeth sank into his thigh. As he stood, he felt tiny feet running up the length of his body. He actually felt hot, fretted, fretted breath as he looked down to see what could climb a man's body with such speed. Huge teeth that were meant for his throat sank into his cheek, tore away a huge flap. His body poured blood now as he thrashed around. Thrashed around. Once he thought he found the door, but something heavy leapt up his back and pulled him forward on the floor again. Rats, his mind screamed. The words, rats eating me alive, God help me. Flesh was ripped away from the back of his neck. He couldn't rise now from the sheer weight of rivering, furry vernums fleeting from his body, drinking his blood. Shivers ran along his spine to his shot brain. The dim shadows seemed to float before him. Then a redness ran across his vision. It was a redness of unbelievable pain. He couldn't see any more. more. The rats had already eaten his eyes. Then he felt nothing, just a spreading sweetness over his body. He died with no thoughts in his mind. Just even, not even of his beloved, almost forgotten Francis. Just sweetness, not even pain. He was beyond that. The rats that had their fill of their body. The rats had had the fill of their body. His body, 
They are still hungry, so they search, search for more food, for some of the same kind. They had tasted the thirst. They tasted thirst. Human blood.